Hi, I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's good to have you here. Happy Sabbath. It's an honor to lead, lead our church family this Sabbath through a study of God's Word. So let's start off with a prayer together. Father, we praise you for a Sabbath that we can gather and worship you and gather in your name. I pray that you'll pour out your Holy Spirit right now as I uh, present your word and also as we listen to it and process it. We pray that your Spirit will speak to our hearts and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So one of the things I did growing up was work at summer camp. It was a very formative part of my growing up years, during high school and college, and even a summer in grad school. Five summers at the camp in Alabama called Alamisco, and four years out in Northern California called Leone. This was one of my first summers at Leone Meadows. We had come to staff week, about 100 plus staff, all working really hard that week, getting ready for all the campers to come in for the summer, and now it was the Sabbath of staff week. We were going out into the woods to practice our Sabbath afternoon activity with the kids. So we hiked down past the hotels, down past cowboy camp with all the covered wagons, and up the hill into the pine forest beyond. Myself and about 10 others were gathered in our sight. We were going to act out a Bible play, a Bible charade, over and over and over again as different groups of campers came through every, every Sabbath. And so this was our chance to prepare and to practice. And so we had run through a, a time or two, and then standing off on the edge of our group, I heard a noise off in the woods that sounded like somebody spraying a can of spray paint. I was like, what is that? And I looked, and I went over there, and there, coiled up underneath a pine tree, was the largest rattlesnake I have ever seen. The rattles were just going 100 miles an hour. I paused, my heart was racing. I went back and consulted with the other staff to try to determine what should we do. Hundreds of campers were going to be coming through here this summer. Should we just let this rattlesnake hang out here? Well, we decided that we should probably not let it stay there. So, myself and one of the other staff by the name of David decided that we were going to get some big sticks and chase this rattlesnake. Now, David was one of the cowboys, and at this particular camp at Leone Meadows, the cowboys had a certain image of being the tough guys, the, the real guys that could handle any situation. Myself, on the other hand, I happened to be working programming that summer. That meant I was picking plays and running a copy machine, not the, perhaps the most manly job, but I was there and I was willing to chase down this rattlesnake in order to save the campers. All I had was a stick and my trusty little Swiss army knife, about that big. So David had his stick. I chose a nice long, about 10, 15 foot long uh, pine tree, a, old, a little tiny pine tree that had been cut down. And I had it in my hands. We looked at each other, David and I, and on the count of three, we raced towards the rattlesnake. After I had taken about five steps, I looked over at David, and he was nowhere to be found. He had dropped his stick and run in the other direction. 
This rattlesnake was huge. It was as big around as my arm, and it was about six feet long. So there I was, facing this rattlesnake all by myself with this long, flexible little pine tree in my hands. Well, I decided we needed to save the campers, so I kept chasing that rattlesnake, and I reached my stick out, and I bent it down on the ground, and that rattlesnake was able just to crawl right underneath my stick because the pine needles were loose underneath, and my stick was bending, 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 rather than keeping him pinned to the ground. So I chased him again, pinned him again. He got out again and again and again. Finally, after many, many tries, I was able to pin that rattlesnake down, and we got him out of the area. Have you ever felt like right when you were in the middle of a challenge, facing what, a big challenge that was scary and overwhelming, that someone that you thought was a close friend and that was in on this with you, all of a sudden disappeared? There's a text here in Proverbs 18.24 that talks about a friend like that. The per first part of the verse says this, a man of many companions may come to ruin. Now, this is reading from the New International Version. The New King James and the King James Version has a very different translation here. But the NIV says, a man of many companions come to ruin. But the rest of the verse says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The original Hebrew here can be translated literally, a man of friends will be broken. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So what is this about friends causing brokenness or hurt? Have you ever been hurt by a close friend, abandoned when you needed them the most? Like they dropped their stick when you're facing this challenging together and they ran the opposite direction? Or worse yet, have you ever felt like God has done that to you? Abandoned you, abandoned me, when we're in the middle of a challenge and we desperately need his help. Unfortunately, this seems like a pretty common experience as you read through the pages of Scripture. I mean, think about Adam and Eve, right there at the graveside of Abel, grieving their hearts out at the loss of their son. Certainly, they must have thought, where is God? And then there's Job, undoubtedly, no question, as he endured all of his losses and suffering. He had lots of questions about where God was, why wasn't he there helping him out during these times of difficulty. Certainly, Abraham must have had Question year after year after year, where was God in his promise of a son? At age 98, 99, still no son from his wife Sarah. How about Moses? Running from his life out through the desert when he was only trying to fulfill God's calling in his life, but running after killing an Egyptian. Or David, running for his life from King Saul. After years before he had been anointed as the next king of Israel, certainly thoughts must have raced through David's mind. Where is God? Or Elijah, 
running for his life from Jezebel after the huge, amazing experience on Mount Carmel. And yet fear gripped his heart and Elijah was running for his life. Certainly he thought, where is God to protect me now? Or we could talk about John the Baptist being locked up in Herod's prison, the horrid conditions of Herod's prison, day after day after day, until he sent this message to Jesus as recorded in Matthew 11:3. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And then there's Mary and Martha. They sent some people to get Jesus because their brother Lazarus was sick. And then they waited. And then they waited. And as they're waiting by the bed of their sick brother, they watch while he takes his last breath. Had Jesus failed them? Certainly they felt that way. Or we even have Jesus on the cross. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, this feeling of being abandoned by God is an extremely painful and a spiritually confusing experience. But it seems that Jesus can understand that kind of pain experientially. But praise God, there's a second half to Proverbs 18.24, which reads, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who is that friend? If even it seems that God fails people, who is this friend? It occurs to me that perhaps our circumstances, our expectations, and our perceptions are not necessarily what determine whether or not God is faithful. You see, our perceptions are not always reality. I love mountain biking. This particular Sunday, I had gone mountain biking with some of my close friends up at Lookout Mountain, one of my favorite places, Five Points. The day had gone well. I got tired before everybody else came back. I was happy, just chilling, waiting for them to come back. We all loaded up and headed back to my friend's house where we had all parked our vehicles and carpooled together. Well, we arrived there at my friend's house. And I was getting my mountain biking gear and loading it into my truck. And just as I was getting ready to head to my truck to drive home to be with my family, my friend said, hey guys, why don't you come in for a moment? I thought, sure, why not? So we walked into his living room his wife was there in the kitchen doing her thing, and his teenage son was there on the floor with a friend of his just hanging out, relaxing. And my friend just kind of stood there, and I was thinking like, ooh, this is a little awkward, so why are we here? And we just kind of stood there for a few moments. Then my friend said, well, come on down here. So we walked down the stairs to his basement level, daylight basement level, and then on out the back door, all the while I'm thinking, what is my friend doing? And as I walked out the door, all of a sudden, pressed up against the side of the house, there was this huge group, about 30 to 40 people who yelled, surprise! 
and it was my surprise birthday. I had no idea that my wife and my friends had been planning this for quite some time. To the very, very last detail, my reality was that we were going mountain biking, that we had gotten back, and that I was heading home. But their reality was that they loved me, and they had been working hard behind the scenes without me aware of it to communicate to me how much they cared about me. So one of my daughters came running over to me, pulled my cell phone out of my pocket, and then a group pushed me into the swimming pool. And then they provided a fresh change of clothes, perhaps a swimming suit, and we had a big party. It occurs to me that my perceptions are not always reality. We cannot always trust our perceptions. For you see, John the Baptist, yes, he was locked up in jail, and yes, he felt like he was being abandoned by God, but the truth is, that was not the case at all. Jesus was in the very act of saving him, but John just could not see it. Mary and Martha, by the bed of their brother that they loved so much, they felt forsaken by Jesus, but he had better plans which they were only able to see in retrospect. And Jesus on the cross, crying out, feeling abandoned by his Father. But it was that very moment that was the defining moment that proved God's faithfulness. For you see, in Genesis 3.15, soon after Adam and Eve had fallen into sin, God came to them and promised to save them and their descendants from sin. Genesis 3.15 says this, I will put enmity, which means separation, between you, and he was referring to Satan, and the woman, he was referring to Eve, and between your offspring, referring to Satan's followers, and hers, referring to the followers of Jesus. And he, speaking of Jesus, will crush your head, speaking of Satan. And you, speaking of Satan, will strike his heel, referring to Jesus. Right there in Genesis 3.15 is the first time God promised to rescue us from our sins. And God has been faithful to his promise. That victory on the cross is described right here in 2 Corinthians 5.21 in this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God is faithful. He has been faithful, and he will be faithful. No matter what my circumstances happen to be like, no matter what my expectations happen to be, and no matter what my perception is, God is faithful. The fact is that he has saved us in Jesus, just like he said he would. That is why John can write in 1 John 5, 12 to 13, He who has the Son has life. 
He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Could it be that Jesus is, in fact, that friend that sticks closer than a brother, even when it doesn't seem like it? Even when it feels like I'm in the middle of a situation and he has abandoned me, is it possible that Jesus is, in fact, still that friend that sticks closer than a brother? Romans 8, 35 to 39 says that is, in fact, the case. Look at it with me. Romans 8, 35 to 39. It says, who shall, shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I would like to suggest that this is reality. No matter what our perceptions of reality happens to be, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because our circumstances, our expectations, and our perceptions are not what determines whether or not God is faithful. We can cling to the truth that Jesus is, in fact, that faithful friend who is even more faithful than a brother. Yes, we can embrace each experience that provides evidence to this reality, but ultimately, we walk by faith. We can cling to this truth that Jesus is our friend who sticks closer than a brother, no matter what our circumstances happen to be. Even when life hurts and seems like he is nowhere around. Before I close, we've got to ask the question, how? How do we cling to God when life is in chaos? How do we cling to God when we feel like he is abandoning us? How do we do that? I would like to suggest we look at the example of Jesus. He experienced these things as well while he was here on earth. How did he do it? Well, in Isaiah 50, verse 4, there's a prophecy looking forward to Jesus coming as the Messiah. And this prophecy gives us insight into exactly how Jesus did that. Isaiah 50, verse 4, the very last part of the verse says this, Morning by morning, he wakens me to open my understanding to his will. And then we find in Mark 1, 35, these words, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. 
Jesus allowed, he invited, he welcomed his father to wake him up each morning. And he would go out and spend daily time alone in the quiet with no one else around with his father. Together as a team, they were close and they worked moment by moment together in a well-established connection and relationship. And this opportunity is available to you and to me as well. And as we establish this connection by spending this time alone with God, when those times of chaos and distance come, we have a well pre-established connection that can help carry us through. I personally believe this is probably the most important ingredient that we can see from the life of Jesus that can carry us through those times that feels like God is nowhere around and that he has abandoned us. But that prophecy in Isaiah 50 continues. Verse 7 says this, right towards the end of the verse, it says, Therefore I have set my face like a flint. Jesus had decided that he was going to follow out and live in accordance to his Father's will no matter what. He decided in advance. He determined in his heart he was going through with the plan of salvation. And we too can resolve in our hearts that we are going to live for God, that we are going to follow his plan no matter what. We will trust in Jesus. We will live for him. We will love him and allow his love to flow through us no matter how dark this world happens to be. And then finally, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 gives us one last glimpse as to how Jesus endured the hardship here on earth culminating with feeling totally absent and cut off from his father. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then here it is, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus kept his focus on the joy that was before him. The joy of having you and me in heaven with him for eternity, free from sorrow, free from pain, free from suffering. That's where Jesus chose to place his focus rather than the problems at hand. And certainly you and I can do the same. We can keep our focus on Jesus, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus rather than the problems at hand. And we can focus on the eternity we have in Jesus and with Jesus that will one day be free from the heartache and the hardship that this world has. My heart raced as my wife and I watched the movie Sully. It was made back in 2016. It was about Captain Chelsea Sullenberger, who successfully landed U.S. Airlines Flight Number 1549 right into and on top of the Hudson River back in January 15, 2009. It was a flock of geese that had disabled the engines to this plane. He had no other options but to land it right into the Hudson River. 
Well, it kept, the movie kept uh, showing over and over the crash scenes. And my heart just kept racing faster and faster and faster. I kept imagining the intensity of those moments for Sully and his co-captain, his co-pilot, as well as the crew and all the passengers on board as 36 degree water poured into the plane and people scrambled for their lives. There was extreme danger. Fear and discomfort was everywhere. But Sully was a skilled pilot. And in partnership with the first responders and the ferry boat pilots, they managed to save all 155 passengers on that plane. Jesus is our faithful and skilled pilot. He will save all who choose to buckle their lives into his plane by faith. Yes, the flight is bumpy. It is uncomfortable. Certainly there are circumstances that none of us would ever want to happen. There is pain, there is sorrow, there is suffering and sickness and death. Our pilot has warned us of this. In fact, the fasten your seatbelt signs, the lights are on. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus will, in fact, land this plane in such a way that whoever believes in him will live forever in eternity, free from all the sorrow and heartache we're experiencing right now in this world. So as we experience our troubles here in this world, let us remember that we do have a friend who sticks closer than our brother, Jesus Christ. We can focus on our faithful friend rather than our problems. We can choose to buckle our lives into Jesus through surrendering to him with no exceptions rather than trying to control every circumstance that we face in life. And then we can just sit back and soar, trusting Jesus to be our skilled and faithful pilot. I love how Isaiah 40 Verse 31 says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you that you have not abandoned us, even at those times when it feels like you have. We praise you, Jesus, that you are our faithful friend that sticks closer than a brother. We invite you right now to reign in our hearts. We choose to trust you as the pilot of our lives, and we long to be with you when you come again in those clouds to take us to a better place, free from the sorrow and suffering in this world. We thank you that we have the choice, the option of salvation in you, Jesus, because of your faithfulness. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen.